Welcome to the gray area, where I give interviews with developers, talk about gaming news and reviews, and focus on the interrelationships between gamers. My name is Genesee Gray, and this is the 82nd episode in a weekly series called That's Just Sick. Here with me is Daniel Collette from EB Games. Welcome, Daniel. Alright, dammit, I wanna say hello. Dammit, Grandpa, get off the microphone. Oh, I wanna say hi to people. Dammit, Grandpa, give me the fire. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> yeah, not uh, split personality at all. Ah, oh, dang it. <laughs> Last week's episode was a discussion with Serafina Brennan, community specialist from Turbine. Please visit www.genesee.com to add to the forum discussion on that topic and to tell me your story. Today's Monday, September 29th, and we are going to talk about Facade, XCOM, uh, Dishonored, Daniel, and various gaming news. So, let's get started with news of the week. What is your news of the week? My news of the week? Okay, so, um, a little bit gamer-related. Well, a bunch of new stuff coming out this week. Um, Mr. Pandaria comes out tomorrow. Yes. Yes, it does. Yes. Are you getting it, I assume? No. No, really? The first, first World of Warcraft expansion that I'm not going to get on release. Um, really? This is yeah. shocking. Well, yeah, we've been playing for what, eight years, something like and that. So why why uh, not this one? I don't know. It just it it doesn't appeal to me. <laughs> it's what? It, I know it's uh, pandas, really. Oh, okay, so it's the panda like nation itself that doesn't appeal to you. I I, I don't know. I just I mean I was psyched to see the the trailer, how it was all kung fu-y and. Mm-hmm. You know, all that sort of jazz, but... The cinematic was amazing. The cinematic was amazing, um, and they always do cinematics. I don't know why they haven't done a movie already. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd watch the crap out of that movie. Um, <laughs> but, I don't know, I just... I, it feels... Every time that they do a World of Warcraft game, they've always got got to do a second version for the for the Chinese um Right. Country. And no, this isn't anything against Chinese people, but this one feels like they're trying to placate them. So they're just going to do one game and then, you know, everyone gets to that one game. You think that they're still taking heat from Wrath of the Lich King and, and Kata with all the undead that they had to re uh, vector so. or whatever you want to call it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they've been doing it for nigh on years now, you know, since Warcraft. Um, you know why change now? I mean, I, I understand that it's probably financially more financially viable to do a game where there's less undead and you know more mythological beings, and that's cool. But I don't, I don't know. I just well, everyone seemed to really enjoy the panda pet that you could get, but there were other creatures like the naga that I would have liked to have seen. You know, expansions featuring you know maybe the murlocs or the naga or some of the other characters that seem to have more fully formed societies. But I'm not sure why they chose the panda. It's uh, it's a, a real mystery to me. Like I'm, you know, we've, we explored the Draenei in um, Burnt Crusade, and there was a bit of stuff there in regards to the naga and the whole. Black Temple. Mm-hmm. Um, then we went to Lich King, and you know that was basically all about the undead and the scourge. And then we've gone to Cataclysm, which is all about the dragon flights. So, I mean, they've not got much left in regards to that. But I mean, 
Well, it's a tough sell because the panda itself doesn't lend. I mean, everyone's seen Kung Fu Panda, yes, but then it's kind of a a funny, humorous, like animated film, and it's tough to make a panda into like a fighting machine that you feel slightly intimidated by. I thought they did pretty well in the cinematic, but I'm not sure that the actual figures um, for the avatars make me feel like intimidated, or if I'm just kind of like, oh, it's a panda. Yeah, I, I don't know the. They're too roly-poly, you know, fluffy, giant teddy bears. They're not They're not supposed to be intimidating heroes. Well, they're not. They're not intimidating heroes. They're supposed to be, but they're not. So... It's kind of like will, you can't really see the Ewoks, like, just becoming Sith. <laughs> I mean, you know, that doesn't really happen. What do you mean? Ah, why? <laughs> that would be the Jawas, but yes. No, no, that's um. Oh yeah, it is. That's the the hearts. <laughs> well, what, what do they do? They're like, like. Star Cruiser, cash. Stupid teddy bears. <laughs> Stupid teddy. Defe- defeating people with lasers with sticks and pointed rocks. I'm not bitter. Um, <laughs> I guess we could talk about that a little bit more. Um. But what else is coming out? Skylanders Giants is coming out. Um, I've never played the Skylanders game, but I'm actually pretty pumped for Skylanders Giants because there's um, uh, one giant called Tree Rex. He's like the most popular guy in the world. Um, but there's another guy called Swarm who's like half wasp, half Skylander giant thing. I'm like, and I hate wasps because you know, after being stung by one, you you never become a, a fan of them. Mm, understood. Yeah, but he seems like a pretty cool character, and the, you know they've they've been doing a lot of um, lot of stuff based around Skylanders, but that's coming out shortly. Um, what else? Pokemon, new Pokemon, black and white too. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, see, why not? I don't know. I played Skylander Skyward Sword, and the problem with Skylander is probably the same problem they're going to run into with um, this one. Which is after you beat the game and you have all these figures, there's real no, there's no real incentive like to go back and keep beating the game. Um, it's kind of a short play, and you buy a lot of really expensive figurines just basically to horse your way through the game. Like you could do it with one or two, but if you have four or five, you can just keep on playing, or you know, after you die and never have to restart a level. So, I mean, there's no. There's nothing after that. I mean, you end up with, like, six figurines that you've paid 20 bucks for, and the game ends, and then, like, I, su- I assume you can take these same figurines into the new one? How does that work? Um, yeah, you can take the same figurines into the new one. They'll still all work. Um, but uh, they're all getting, like, vamped up as well. So they're adding, you know, think of it, given that it's done by Activision, and Activision Blizzard are just one company now, Mm-hmm. You can see that they're doing an, an increased level cap, uh, a wider world to explore. So I think they're basically opening up the world a little bit more. Um, you know, they're, they're adding a ton more Skylanders. They're actually remodeling the old ones. So with the new Skylanders release, there's going to be, you'll have all the old ones, but then you'll have all the old ones remodeled into new models. So you can then buy them all again and have oh, their old ones. Yeah. <laughs> it's a clever um, money-making machine, but I'm not falling the- for it a second time. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's something like 18 giants or, or thereabouts. Um, so you know, it's it's 
the greatest business scheme of all time. Um, I ha- I have to put it down to that. You know, let's make toys and then sell those toys with a video game, and you can use those toys on a video game. It's clever, and I didn't have any issues with the um, portal that they gave you. Some people complained that it broke or something, but uh, no, I-, I thought it was pretty well done. And we'll have to see the second one, but I'm not going to be a buyer this time. Just gotta say. Um, yeah, uh, just a few more things. Dishonored uh, coming out in October, which we're going to talk about later. And um, there's been a string of hackings and stuff in Guild Wars 2. I've been a party of that, actually. Oh, tell me about that. Um, I, I mean, I know they said that they were advising people to not use similar passwords and uh, that they were people were harvesting lists, basically, of your emails for some sort of nefarious purpose. But that was kind of at the very beginning of launch. Has it been post that? Um, it still happens even now. Um, basically, with any new game, as you know, you know, people go out to see whether they can break the game because people are douchebags. <laughs> um, but... You know, Guild Wars 2, it's been really, really popular. It's, it's done really well, um, in spite of World of Warcraft. Um, it's actually, I think it's been one of the more popular games, uh, of recent. Uh, I know a lot of people still play it. Um, but, you know, we're sort of coming off the whole MMO fever type deal. But yeah, people are still trying to hack it. They had, uh, a bunch of gold farmers, um, spamming, um, spamming the game for, I think the first two months of of release, and then that was followed by hackers trying to take people's accounts and stuff. I've received about four emails from um arena uh, sorry from yeah arena net yeah um saying hey unauthorized account do you want to check this out do you want to approve this blah 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 like fake um, ones trying to get your uh, ID no no from the actual arena net guys saying hey we've logged a, a, a an attempted login from this ip address that doesn't match the one that you logged in with oh. to begin with did you want to approve this yay or nay and it gives you the entire list it gives you like the ip address the country of origin that it came from um so i've gotten two from japan and china wow that's really neat uh method that they have so I mean that's 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 cool and I'm glad to see that the arena net guys are taking that sort of action um because it means that you know they they're really focused on on account security and, and they don't want anything to happen especially because this thing is their baby it's been people have been hyping this game up for a year now since we found out it was coming out so um but yeah that's 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 on the way you know people are fixing that and that's um you know hopefully in the future um, they can sort of eliminate that slowly like World of Warcraft did. You know, you still get the one or two spammers, but but nothing that says that, hey, you're being hacked. Mm-hmm. It's like in, um, I think it was, no, it wasn't Secret World. It was Rift. They would uh, lock your account and you'd have to put some special number in when you came back in. If they Yeah, the, the coin lock or something yes, that they called it. Yes, which was another wise idea. Hmm? Yeah, I I had issues with Rift though. Um, it was more so just because of the game. But after a few times of having it coin locked, because I'd walk away and then come back to it, you know, three months later and be like, uh, I gotta go through all this rigmarole to unlock it. Ah, uh, stay locked. At least no one will hack it. <laughs> um, last bit of news: Assassin's Creed new one coming out shortly. Um, 
And in console news, um, PlayStation 3 are doing a new PlayStation console. Um, they're revamping the old one. The PlayStation Slim, I believe they're calling it. Which looks terrible. <laughs> I've seen pictures of it, and it looks crap. Um, it really does. It looks terrible. It's it look, uh, One of my workmates called it um, the PlayStation 3 of... of of George Foreman grills, <laughs> or vice versa. Yeah, you it, could. Well, I don't know. It's called the Super Slim, and what they're saying about it, and it actually has gone up in price. It was like two hundred fifty bucks, and now it's two hundred seventy. Um, they're just saying that it's lighter, and I don't know why that's awesome. Um, a two hundred fifty gigs hard drive. It comes with Uncharted Three, which is pretty cool. Yeah, but I've already got Uncharted 3. Well, then I guess you don't care. <laughs> I don't. But see, apparently in Europe you can get the pimped out like 500 gig version, which is just a little bit more. So I don't know why we're not special snowflakes. We can't have that. Um, well, but it, ha- it has a flash drive, which is like oh. the first time ever, mm-hmm. I think, for PS3. Um, yeah, we've, we've got something similar. We've got, um, like, not going to spruik the company, don't worry. But you know, you know, when you can trade in games at, at stores and stuff, and consoles and whatnot, you can do something similar at work where you know uh-huh. you could trade in and you get you know X amount off, and then you end up paying another hundred and forty or whatever it is to get the new console, and they give you a five hundred gigabyte one. But it's weird; they've done something where I think they've made it a, a more affordable version of the console because it's actually only got a 12 gigabyte hard drive they've done something really weird and they've released two copy uh two two different instances yes. one will be 12 gig and then one will be 500 gig uh, why would you do why? that you know? I, I don't know i i'm as a gamer i'm in, inclined to want to go with the 500 gig one well, i mean i've got a 320 gig sitting on my desk right here I mean, the $270 model, that's 250 gigs, which isn't bad. But if you can double that, uh, I don't know what the euro conversion to dollars is, but 299 euros, so maybe it's a lot more. But it seems, like, closely comparable. If you're going to double it, I mean, you would rather just probably pay the little extra and get the European mm-hmm. version, no? Yeah, you would. Um, yeah, it's it's a weird thing that they've done, um, but you know that's Sony, and you know it could work out better for them. You know they might make they might make the new PS3 Super Slim even more accessible because it's only 12 gigabytes. You don't need to use that 12 gigabytes on games. You can use it as an entertainment system. I mean, hell, I use my DVR player or DVD player. Yeah, the the Blu-ray player. Yeah, that that's pretty much all I use. Three and a bunch of other games on it, but you know I don't really use my PlayStation 3 for a whole lot. I use it to play the few games that are PS3 exclusive that I actually care about. Like, I think Fable and Journey and Flower or Flow or whatever. Yeah. I was thinking about picking up Journey. You should pick it up. It is like the best. I, th- I think it's probably my favorite game of all time. And that's hard to say because I have quite a few. It's cool. amazing. Uh, speaking of PlayStation, apparently the the PlayStation Plus is going to come to the Vita in November. So if you were like annoyed that you didn't have that, it's coming. It's fifty bucks a year, though. Uh, yeah, I'll uh, I'll lose my fifty bucks a year on something else, thanks. <laughs> okay. I I know. I just I'm not a fan of paid services. Then again, this is the guy that spent eight years playing World of Warcraft. Right. Well, so. I mean, specific. He's a very specific paid service. 
Like you're not an Xbox Live customer or any of that. No, I've got I, I've got an Xbox, but I'm not a live customer. <laughs> if I'm gonna do any multiplayer stuff, it'll be on the computer. Okay. Where I can be frustrated all the time. <laughs> well, there's Steam, and that makes it all better. Oh, Steam! Steam sometimes has its faults. Like what? Um, Borderlands Two. Um, recently, there's been some string of glitches where people can't access other people's games that they've got on their friends list. I mean, I can't. I can't log into. Um, I've got a friend that lives 15 minutes away. Um, not that far away at all, and I can't log into his computer. Uh, into his game. Just a little time out, but I can log into a friend that's like an hour and a half away. Hmm. I wonder if that's why we have sometimes issues uh, joining games in Dungeon Defenders, because I'm never sure if it's the actual game that I should play or the Steam service. I think the Steam service is pretty good. Uh, um, it just depends on the netcode that they've got for it. And uh, yeah, I I don't know. It's 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 tricky because you've got to always try and resolve it. Um, most of the time it's time out. Um. I found that with the Dungeon Defenders, if you guys are in the middle of a game, um, and I try and join you guys, can't do it. Huh. And, and I think that's one of the things that makes it really annoying is that they don't give... When you get an error, you don't get a lot of information about the error. It's not like, why did you get the error? It just says, timed out, or, hey, I can't do that, Dave. <laughs> well, at least it's not like Origin, where it just basically spins endlessly, and you never see a single word. <laughs> Oh yeah, it just it locks your computer up, increases the heat over time. It's just like if I don't get my light, I'm blowing up. <laughs> it's a very bad uh, feedback loop of virus, to, basically to melt down your entire computer. It's the purpose it's, it's of so you have to buy, Yeah, you've got to buy new computers that EA go, are going to build specifically for Origin. Cons- <laughs> conspiracies. <laughs> they have really great. Uh, patience. It's like an unquantified thing in uh, hardware that we weren't aware of before, but there's a patience factor. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, they're basically going to release these new machines that have like 512 megabytes of RAM and no, <laughs> one gigabyte of hard drive space <laughs> especially for Origin. It's just like, this is the new and revolutionary computer of the future. <sighs> Well, I guess we should talk about Nintendo, the Wii U, since we pretty much covered, like, PlayStation things. Uh, yeah. There's some hate for the Wii U, I feel. Like, I'm just having people boycott the Wii U and say they're never going to do that. And now, apparently, the Wii U games will only work on uh, hardware that's sold in the same region. Like, you cannot have... Um, I don't know how wide the region is that they're saying, but um, you have to... You can't, like, play internationally, or North America can't play with, like, South America or whatever. It's just yeah. region lock. That's that's interesting. It, it um, reduces the amount of um, resale that the games have. Mm. Like, uh, you could have, you know, people come in and, you know, buy a pre-owned game, which I know I do, um, you know, because they're cheap, right? So... If if those games are then being limited to a region, and you go onto eBay or whatever, and you buy a game, you're effectively losing twenty five bucks because you know your your console is region locked. Um, yeah, and it would make selling it difficult too because you have to read the fine print and be really really sure. 
Yeah. Oh, there's uh, not a lot of info about the Wii U right now. I mean, it's it's about two months, I guess, from launch. And what they're saying is that uh, they don't. They're not even saying. Um, like giving you any details on it they're just saying they don't really fully understand the network of the nintendo how it's going to work um and they're saying that they're confused on the system online features and some of the other stuff that you would think that they'd probably have already nailed down um it's concerning when a company comes out and says that they haven't nailed everything down and there's they're less than is it november that they're releasing it somewhere somewhere like that you know less than two months until they release it yeah Oh, I mean, they seems like they've basically focused on all the non-gaming features, like uh, the Miiverse, the Nintendo T- TVI, like all this other stuff that doesn't have anything to do with games. Um, so that's the Wi-Fi aspect. It seems like that's the thing that they've really put their time into. And now that we're getting close to the launch, we're like, oh yeah, we better figure out how the multiplayer online system's going to work. <laughs> okay. Have, have you um, have you noticed that there'd be cell point? for hardcore gamers on the Wii U, is that Zombies U game. Is the Zombie what game? It's a, a game that they showed at A3 uh, called Zombies U. Okay. Or Zombie U or something like that. Um, and it basically, it's like a, a sort of like a shoot 'em up with the tablet. You basically look around with the tablet and you you get like this 3D environment that the, the game builds. Hmm. Um, based on the, the gyroscope, but you can do things like, um, you know, take photos of yourself and look zombified and whatnot. Oh, it's like a filter that makes you look like a zombie? Yeah. So, yeah, um, you can filter yourself, uh, or take photos and filter, like, a, a zombie face over it. They displayed it at the E3, um, but it was... Is it stupid? I mean, does it look like a real zombie, or is it just like uh, no, really poorly photoshopped? The the I don't know whether the technology was fully developed by the time that they, they showed it off at E three, but it was like a poorly stretched texture oh. over the over the face, which would then map the face and stretch when you moved your face around. Okay, but there was a, a game type element attached to it where you then you know. You know, uh, when you could like take a photo of your face or something on a DS, and it would you know configure a me, and then yeah, you could yeah. play shooting games based on the face that you'd taken a photo of. Well, apparently, uh, you can do that with Zombie U, but I don't know. Is there any appeal in shooting your friends' zombified faces? Uh, not really. I mean, not long-term appeal. Maybe a laugh for a few minutes, but yeah, I I think. The problem that Nintendo has is that there's no long-term, or there's no longevity in the new Wii U system until they can develop, or developers can make um, games that are, you know, centered around the new technology of, you know, online multiplayer and the whole tablet Wii nunchuck dynamic. I mean, what what is there to do on it? Yeah, it sounds like um, not something that's going to have a a serious uh, retail value after like a week. Yeah, so we'll, it'll be interesting to see, um, especially given that it's the one uh, one of the few consoles that are coming out. Um, 
like there isn't a, there isn't a lot being announced in regards to consoles this year, so that'll be interesting. Well, I think everyone's kind of holding out for um, what is it the three the Xbox what is it three seventy something what is they what are they seven seven twenty the Xbox seven twenty I think everybody's kind of holding out for that and just waiting to see um, what that brings. So they're not really committing to the Wii U because they'd rather see the seven twenty. Although Microsoft, uh, both Microsoft and Sony said they're not going to be releasing uh, new consoles, uh, not until 2013 or something like that. Yeah, they said, uh, PlayStation said it's going to continue to support the current consoles, so they're obviously not like in a hurry to mm. do anything but the Slim. Well, so, yeah. we'll see. There was an interesting story uh, about a game uh, that's coming out called Project Eternity. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a it's kind of an RPG. It's like a tactical combat. It's got some text-based like story development. They're trying to go old school RPG on it. And it looks kind of like um if you ever played like a Neverwinter Nights or I mean Little mm-hmm. Diablo 3, a little bit like that too. Um but it's by Obsidian, Obsidian Entertainment, which is a fairly well-known developer. I mean, it's been around for a while. They haven't had anything super big out, like a super big hit, but um I mean, Baldur's Gate, uh, mm-hmm. and all that. And I don't know how I feel about developers that are already established using Kickstarter, which is what they did, to fund their projects. Um, they were looking for $1.1 million, which their goal was, and they funded it in over twenty four in just 24 hours. So obviously it was a popular game and people wanted to see it made. What do you think of, I mean, it seems almost like Kickstarter should be for people that are just kind of trying to get a foot in the door um, and just kind of individuals that are looking to get maybe their first game, their second game. How do you feel about, I mean, people like uh, Obsidian Entertainment or um, trying to think where Jameson Durrell works, Volition, like Volition would come in and do a Kickstarter project. Like, what do you think about that? Um, oh, I'm in two minds. Uh, firstly, um, I'm kind of for it. It means that they're not having to, um, well, they, one, they're, they're basically, uh, restricted by the amount of money that they make from Kickstarter. So once they achieve their goal, good on them. If they reach over their goal, even better. Um, that's what anyone wants when they, when they do Kickstarter. Um, but at the same time, you know, you're an established company, you've got money or income from games that you've previously made, mm-hmm. you should be able to fund it yourself and 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 get something out there. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, I think it's a, a good idea. Um, and like you said, I, I think it it should kind of be kept for the people that are just starting out. But you know, we can't really restrict people because they're successful. I mean, if if they want to make a game for the fans and be funded by the fans, I guess. In that long term, it gives um, people that are um, that want to be involved an opportunity to become involved. They get to basically make their mark and leave their mark. So I think it's a great PR scheme. I mean, look at look at it this way: not only um, as a as a buyer into the game by by donating fifty bucks, I get a bunch of stuff for for doing nothing. Um, my name will probably pop up in the in the credits somewhere mm-hmm. um and i've had to do nothing and i've just given them 50 bucks yeah but um, look at and- it this way i mean you have a 
you don't have to go through a publisher like EA or something, which is nice because it, it kind of allows these um, developers to maybe have a little more freedom where they don't have to align themselves with some big name that's going to end up kind of running them or making decisions for them. But at the same time, now we have Obsidian out there. Let's say we have Volition or something else out there. People like, you know, you, you're designing a game. Your game that you're designing as a first-time game with whatever, like 200 bucks in your pocket, is going to be up there against uh, Obsidian's game. And right now, I'm afraid Kickstarter is going to become the blog of websites in the sense that um, a while ago, maybe there was like, you know, 2,000 decent blogs and now everybody and their mother has a blog. So there's like 200 million blogs and you will never be able to sift through all those blogs to find the good blogs. Like there's tons of good blogs that should be supported that will never be supported because there's just too many in the market. And my fear is that Kickstarter is going to be the same thing where it, there's just so many projects you will never get to see the people that truly need to be funded because they really are first-time developers that are getting their first idea out there because they're actually being compared to and 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 competing for funding with people that should be able to handle their own games. Uh, that's a good point. Um, however, at the same time, um, you know, the, the when when you're making a game you don't get funding all the time from the sources that you would usually expect them to come. Um, for example, like myself, um, I'm building a game with no more than $2 in my bank account. Um, and I basically got to use my pay from, from my other jobs to, to fund this, uh, this game that I'm making. Um, but it also falls on my head that once I have technical demos and stuff that I can show off, and then can start up a Kickstarter project. It's it's my onus to go out and promote my Kickstarter project. It's not a matter of just hey, I've got a Kickstarter project. Sit back and watch the money roll in. It's a matter of I've okay now I've got this project. I've got it on the website. I need to send links out to people. Get it posted on websites. Get it posted in you know. Things like Kotaku and, and and whatnot, and basically you've got to build up PR. That's really what it is. It's a PR uh, a PR social media website that allows people to to um, you know push off their project. Um, and you know, big companies like that, sure, will will dominate the Kickstarter market. But if you look at it this way, you've got uh, 1.9 million dollars pledged to it. You don't need to see that project again because they've been funded. That sort of is removed from the equation once they've achieved their goal, which then makes makes way for all the smaller projects to sort of wiggle up into the the space left by um, things like uh, who was it Obsidian Spire? Sorry, not Obsidian Spire. Obsidian Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but don't you think you know, people are going to burn out and say, like, I only had $50, I gave it to Obsidian, I'm not going to continue to look for something to support because I gave my free money away, you know, already this month. And and having had a Kickstarter project, not of my own, but one I was promoting, I can tell you, you can promote and promote all day, but you're not going to have the same kind of uh, clout that somebody like Obsidian is where they can hit, you know, much more and wider audience to get them to come and visit that page. I mean, you can, you can promote all you like, but having somebody be able to find your project, uh, in a sea of, of way more than, uh, maybe has been there before is going to be difficult. Yeah, I, I guess, but I guess at the same time, you're also 
not preaching to the same audience. Um, Obsidian Spire... Why do I keep saying Spire? Because it's a game, Obsidian Spire. Obsidian Entertainment are focused on making... um, are focused on making uh, D&D-type role-playing games. They've been involved in, uh, you know, Baldur's Gate, Neverwinter Nights, all those sorts of games, which have all been associated with the the D and D franchise. Those the people that play those types of games are the ones that are being targeted by the Kickstarter. You know, these people know that Obsidian Entertainment are um, they're not a big company, not anymore, not like they used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, you know, I I can see that okay, they haven't released a game in a little while. Um, and they're they're not going to be able to get funding as easily as someone say Valve or um, not that Valve needs it. Right. Um, but you know some of those other games like um like you know Volition and whatnot because Volition had had a, a fairly big success with uh their um Red Faction series <clears throat> series. Um, but you know they're 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 there they they make their money. Um, another company that's doing that um, are, are making the newest version of Total Annihilation. It's called Planetary Annihilation, and they're pounding it. Um, and I just, I don't know. I just, I think that you can't really just exclude a group of people because they were successful in the past. Um, I mean, I, I would certainly get shitty if someone like Activision Blizzard decided <laughs> to do a Kickstarter. Kickstarter thing, they've got more money than God. You know, what that's that's not really justified. You know, they're they're their own publisher and development team that have uh, currently on the market one, two, three, three successful. Um, no, more four Skylanders and you know the rest of the Blizzard games. You know, Warcraft. You know, those those four that they're key games because it's Activision Blizzard, so Okay. They're they're sort of combined. So you can take the stuff that Activision do and the stuff that Blizzard do and put them together because they're all the one company now. Um but if they were to come onto Kickstarter, it would be like dropping a whale in a pond. <laughs> yeah, but where do you draw the line? Like how successful I mean there's no regulation right now. How successful does a company have to be before you feel like it's not right they should have Kickstarter? Um, okay, so for example, Obsidian Entertainment, and I'm half tempted to look up the name of this other company that are doing um, Planetary Annihilation, uh, aren't very big. They haven't done many games of recent, so I c- we can assume that because their games are older, they're not selling as much. Um, you know, that's that's the way the business works. You know, you don't go. I I haven't gone out and bought Baldur's Gate in ages. Yeah. I think I bought Neverwinter Night, you know, three four years ago. On Steam, and that was what ten bucks. So you know they're not making as much money as they would be from the games when they first released. Um, so now uh, you know these guys that have come together again, they've gone right. We're going to do another game. We're going to make it um, on par with everything that's out there. But because they don't have that money coming in, that it's almost like basic income. Um, they they wouldn't need to work. Oh, they would need to work actually. Sorry, because the amount of money that they're making—ten bucks per game sale—and that's fairly sparse. You can say that they maybe get two hundred sales a month, 
that's $2,000 a month, which is then got to be divided amongst everyone in the team. Everyone gets their, you know, gets their fair share plus covering the cost of hosting servers and whatever else. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot, there's not a lot, a lot of uh, money left in the kitty for producing a new game. So I think it's those companies that were big and they've had their hit and they've reduced and they've come back again from the dead and gone, hey, we're not, we're not going yet. We're going to do another game. Um, it's those guys that I think have the rite of passage to to make those games. I mean, they've got the experience and the knowledge to do that. Um, and I guess, you know, they've got those really professional Kickstarter pages, and, the, and I guess that's what you're looking for when you want to fund a Kickstarter game, is that you know that, one, it looks professional, two, it has to look like it's going to, uh, to succeed. I know that I have a lot of work to do before I can even begin to consider a Kickstarter page for my own project, um, because there's just art and there's... Um, you know, technical designs and the whole bit. I've got to work out what sort of stuff I could give away to make sure that people are enticed to to donating money to my cause. Um, and like you said, you know, you can you can promote until you're blue in the mouth. But as long as you're targeting the right people, I'm not saying you're not, but you know, as long as you're targeting the people that you know who would be interested in it, um, then you can potentially do well. I mean, you've always got the the option to alter your goal at a later stage. If you can do a bare minimum project, so for example, myself, if I if I were to take my budget, I've got to get things like software, hosting, um, and say I've got to be able to pay some of the guys that are, that are doing the work for me. I say, all right, um, I'm going to pay them all a lump sum of five hundred bucks, right? There are three people on the team. That's fifteen hundred dollars plus everything else that I need on top of that. So my my minimum goal would be say like four thousand dollars to make the game. Um, you've got a, a base starting area, and then you say what we intend to do over the next twelve months to make this game the best that it possibly can be. Uh, is you know we have we add you know exploding dinosaurs we add um <laughs> cannons that fire pigs we we add spaceships that have sails and pirates and have mermaids taped to their faces um all that sort of jazz um and you 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 have a budget set out so people look at it and they're like hey these guys know what they're doing cool, I know where they're going to be proceeding, where they'll be in three months' time that my money is going to use. Um, and, you know, you, you basically just target that specific audience and you know that if they're going to be really interested in it, then they'll put money towards your cause. Don't ask for a whole heap. It's those, those companies that, that are well-renowned um, that can ask for the larger sums, but you know, the, the, there's always leeway for the little projects. There are always people that that want to be the philanthropists and say, you know, I'm going to take a chance with this project and, and, and invest some money and see how we go. Um, because then, if they say, well, I invested a thousand dollars into their thing, um, that major backer will then get major props, and you know, there's nothing better than knowing that your name is up in lights. Um, I thought, you know, for example, it's kind of one of the reasons why I first agreed to ever 
do podcasting with you guys. Um, get my name up in lights, hell, you know, make a name for myself. Little did I realize that I'd enjoy it. Um, <laughs> so you know, it, it all it all works out. It's all you know relatively complicated in in connection, but um, if you if you think about it and you you sort of lay it all out on the table and you make the connections in regards to who you need to target, what sort of information you need to be pro- providing, and then having a plan to um, go up against those larger companies, um, you know, like Obsidian Entertainment and the guys doing uh, Plan- uh, Planetary Annihilation, you can be just as successful, but you know you don't have as as big a target as they do. You don't have a as much ex- point one. Yeah, you don't you don't have as much expectation on you to do as well. I mean, if you don't make the game by X amount of time, then all that money that you get from Kickstarter goes back to the people that that pledged it. Oh, I didn't and, realize they followed up with the goals. Yeah, you've you've basically got to give deliverables, and if you don't achieve those deliverables, the money goes. Okay. Okay, before we change subjects here, let's take a minute to hear from our old friend Skaggy the Poet, who has another Get the Girl for us. So we'll listen to that uh, really quickly, and then we'll get back to some other topics. Hello there and welcome to episode 14 of Get the Girl, Kill the Baddies and Save the Entire Planet. Gaming poetry here on the Grey Area podcast with me, Skaggy the Poet. This week a poem about that most exciting but oh so much troublesome of gaming days. Patch Day. You know, the day when the game goes down and you sit all tense and nervous, hoping beyond hope that when the game comes back up, if it does come back up, that everything's been fixed and is all tickety-boo and hunky-dory. So, here we go, a poem simply entitled Patch Day. It's Patch Day, it's Patch Day, it's Hope the Surfers Don't Crash Day, it's a Keep Your Fingers Crossed Day and Hope Your Character's Not Lost Day. It's an Is That Boss Still Bug Day? Or Has That Exploit Been Plugged Day? So you switch on your computer and start to download. Oh, be still my heart. 25% of the patches downloaded. 25% of my nails are all corroded. 50% of the patches now done. 50% of my hair is now gone. 75% of the patches passed. And at 75% of the patch notes I've glanced. 100% 100% the patch is complete it feels like I've been patching all week the patch is here the patch is here across the world there's a collective cheer then across the world there's a collective groan as everybody at once tries to log on and they find there's 30 minute log on queues and really bad bad lag characters half missing and empty inventory bags quests you still can't finish and lots more things that make you cross and what ain't you got? You ain't got a fixed game. Ah, Patch Day. That most marvellous of days. 
Do you know, you can sing the last bit of that poem. Uh, if you're a fan of South Pacific, you'll find the last bit goes very nicely to the tune of There Is Nothing Like a Dame. But I recorded two versions, and the song version hmm, wasn't as good as I hoped. So uh, you escaped my singing this week. Anyway, got an idea for a poem? I love to have me an idea. Drop me a line via Jen. Like poetry? Well, why not check out my site, skaggythepoet.wordpress. It's where all my back issues, for want of a better word, of the Grey Area podcast poetry segments are stored and lots of other things that you can read and go, bloody hell, I thought this bloke was a poet. Anyway, until next time, toodle pip. A big thank you to Skaggy. It's been a while since we've heard from him. And uh, now we will continue... I think that's good. Let's move on from Kickstarter. I think yep. most people know that uh, the Bioware founder is Ramazuka, and and I, I can never pronounce Greg's last name. Greg Zeschuk? How do you say that? Zeschuk? I think Z-E-S-C-H-U-K. They've pretty much run. They're the founders of Bioware. And they announced, I guess, kind of the middle of September, that they were going to be retiring from the video game industry. And they announced it at the same time as they were announcing Dragon Age 3 Inquisition, which, by the way, I'm very excited about. I know a lot of people felt like Dragon Age 2 was crap, but I really enjoyed it. And uh, Dragon Age 3, I'm looking forward to a lot. And they kind of said they just wanted to retire and they felt the company was secure. And they had a lot of reasons like that they were saying they want to retire. But it does seem to me that um, maybe some of the fallback from Mass Effect 3 might be something that they kind of said, okay, I think we're done um, and people are speculating, and this is not what they've said. They've said they're going to just, I think that, um, Zeschuk, uh, Greg Zeschuk said that he wants to, he's doing something like about beer, like the beer diaries, an interview show or something. And, uh, Greg Mazuka just kind of wants to spend time with his family. But people are theorizing that maybe they're leaving because EA, um, you know, they, they'd kind of merged with EA and, uh, people were theorizing that EA is, being a little heavy-handed uh, with some of Bioware's choices, and maybe they just want to get out, and they might like found their own new company again. Although they've given no indication they're going to do that, it's kind of interesting theories that are flying around. Mm, uh, it's it's sad to see two sort of giants of the industry step down. Um, they've had a lot of good titles off their back, mm-hmm. and you know if they if they've got so much success now, I've sort of. I dread to see what's going to happen in the future. <laughs> you um, dread to see? Why? Because it's sort of coming out of a golden age for Bioware. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's not to compare anyone else that will take their place, but um, do you think they'll be able to do it as as well as they did? We, we won't know until it happens, until they release their first game, but... Um, well, um, yeah. the executive producer is Casey Hudson from Mass Effect, and he's the same guy that's been producing Mass Effect. I don't, mm-hmm. So I would hope that they would have learned from some of the uh, poor choices made in the last one to continue, hopefully, um, you know, making some better stuff. Star Wars and It's the Old Republic was, was well done, but, I mean, they haven't had... I mean, Mass Effect's kind of been their bread and butter for the last, like, year or two. They haven't had Mass Effect or Dragon Age for a while, and Mass Effect's kind of been the thing. So hopefully, I think that they might be ready to put the Mass Effect series behind them for a while and kind of move on to some of the other 
uh, ones that are less controversial. So I, I don't mm-hmm. know. It depends, I guess, how they go. They're going to need a new idea. <laughs> you know, I mean, Dragon Age is kind of played out. They might have another, like, four or something. But in and, and Mass Effect, they're, they could do several things, but it's not going to be around Shepard anymore for the most part, you would imagine, unless they're flashbacking. So they're going to need, like, a new a new um project that they, yeah that they can really get behind to to kind of bring the name back to people's minds i mean if it was something along the lines of well look at that, look at how they left the series you know if you played the game well not right but if you got the specific ending where shepherd lives mm-hmm. hey potential for more games um it wouldn't really explain much if uh, and they left the game open, open-ended, and I think that's one of the biggest criticisms is that um, some people got the ending where Shepard died and didn't come back. Some of us did. Um, so to make a new game, I reckon it'd have to be generations on, um, move forward, kind of like what they did with Dragon Age. Yes. Um, or there's theories that it could be like an older game, like before all this happened. Um, I mean, there were there were battles that were happening. Like they could like go a, back a to uh, the the what were they called the the P the began with P the race that they found at the end. Oh, the Protheans. Protheans. They could do like a Prothean. Um, they could flash back to the Protheans when they were in their prime and have that battle. I mean, you know they're gonna lose, but they still kind of su- the race kind of survived. And they could flash back a lot and do different things, but they're not well, gonna I... have Shepard if they go that far back. Yeah, I I think. Um, they could take. Um, wh- who was what was the name of the Prothean warrior that they introduced in the DLC? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I don't know. They could take a story and base it around him. Yeah, but he um, was lame. I didn't even like him. Did you? I mean, he was he was martial, I, but I he never, didn't have a lot of like personal interaction that made me care. I don't know. I never picked up the DLC. I got screwed oh. over with. I think his his symbol was vengeance. Like he was supposed to be the vengeance of the Protheans or justice or something like that. So. Like, that's all he was. He was very one-dimensional and very much like, we need to um, beat the Reapers at any cost, and that's all he cared about. So I, I think, know. yeah, the, I reckon they could really base the game around the Protheans. Not so much him, maybe, but, um, you know, take a take a warrior that was maybe influential at, the, at that time and, and base the game around, you know, the fall of the Prothean Empire. Um, keeping in mind that at that time... You know, Reapers. I guess the the name the Reapers was was given to them by human or humanity. So have them referred to by another name and maybe not really show off the whole Reaper invasion. You know that the Protheans die from the Reapers eventually. Mm-hmm. But but have them, you know, remodel them in maybe the image that the Protheans would have seen them as instead of like giant robotic hands. You know. Um, massive octopuses coming from the sky or something, you know, <laughs> a little bit more, um, you know, primitive yet intelligent. You know when, like, they've got those sort of, like, okay, here's a cave drawing, but that cave drawing is, like, Newton's third law kind of, you know, etching into the wall type deal where it's it's not been carved in. It's basically nanobots that have carved the... Oh, what's it I see where you're going. Well, I think the the Reapers are made of the races that they've absorbed, so they would probably not look the exact same that far back, considering that they're, um, you know, kind of an amalgamation of whatever absorbed race they are. But, mm-hmm. 
But enough of Bioware. I wanted to get to um, Dishonored, and I want to get to some of the games uh, as well. But okay, here here's my news of the week, my frustrating news of the week. I was actually late to th- today for this interview because um, <laughs> this is nothing to do with gaming whatsoever. Uh, I have my keys on a, a carabiner. You know what that is? Yep. Like for climbing. And sometimes I forget that it's on there, and I have my house keys and my car keys on there. And uh, when I took the keys out of the car and snapped it onto my purse, I wasn't paying as close attention as I should. So the house keys fell off, like onto the onto the um, parking lot at like where I was. I think it was at like a convenience store, and they fell into the parking lot. So when I drove home and tried to get in the house, I didn't have house keys. So then I freaked out because it's really dark and late and freezing, and I had no way to get into the house. And the dog is like locked in the basement. So uh, I I basically had to retrace everywhere I had been in the last hour and like scour parking lots like a freak in the dark until I found so them. You, so you were basically the crazy crazy lady in the in the parking lot muttering to herself. Yes, and people of course were parking in the spots where I was. So I'm not only the crazy lady wandering in the parking lot, I'm the crazy lady bending over and looking underneath people's cars. <laughs> So I'm sure that was really, really um, strange for people. But thankfully, I did find them, and I didn't have to go too many places and got back and got inside. What would have topped it is if you'd then gone up to people and gone, have you seen my baby? Have you seen my... <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But I didn't want to have to go inside the store and, like, walk down every aisle and then, like, ask the cashier who's there at well, 11 at night, like, all by himself, probably really freaked out that I'm, like, looking at the floor and walking up and down. You know, have you, have you found any lost keys? I don't want to have to do any of that. It's not clean. It's not clean. You need to clean better. <laughs> so that was not fun. And uh, for the listeners, the reason that this call that's just sick is because we're talking about awesome games, but also because Daniel and I are both sick. And uh, I've had a really bad cold, like, this whole week. And so I didn't even think I could record. So thank you to Daniel for showing up and talking about games with me because I didn't, like, want to have another guest down and be like... (laughs) (laughs) It's all right. (laughs) I'm I'm attempting to breathe through my nose as we speak. It's all good. Okay, so games... um, that we can talk about. You and I sort of covered this a little, but I'm going to talk about it for the podcast. There's a game called Facade, which is isn't that a new a new game. It came out um, in 2006, I believe. It won an independent film or independent games festival, um, and it was rated one of the 1,101 video games you must play before you die. But considering that that's 1,001 video games, that's a lot of video games. It doesn't really speak that well for the game. I mean, you know, it's it's a nice award to have, but it's like saying like you're one of the one million five hundred people that I'd like to meet. It's not like yeah. a highly. <laughs> you're you're <laughs> one of the one point six billion lamps that I'd like to turn on before I die. <laughs> See, it just it doesn't doesn't strike me as like an amazing award, but uh, hey, you know. But for its time in 2006, it was very cutting edge, and it was one of the first games to ever do uh, what it did, which is it's an AI-based interactive story. Um, it's by Michael Matthias and Andrew Stern, and it it features two characters called Grace and Trip, and you are you're seeing it from 
um, first person view and you're, you're somebody who set them up like previously and they're having like domestic issues. So the game is sort of a relationship sim in some ways because you go over to their apartment and, uh, on the pretense of having drinks, but really it's because they're like about to get divorced and they really just want to, I guess, your opinion. And then they start like going at each other and fighting and just being really awful. And, uh, you can, you can have text-based conversations with them. Um, there's no, there's no choosing. There's no, um, you know, one through three. There's no mouse clicks. It's just you must text like an old school mud, whatever you'd like to say, and uh, then the game will respond poorly. It responds kind of poorly, but it will respond to the words that you use to prompt different scenarios. And uh, there are several, several different. Um, kind of games within games where you can play it like four or five times and you'll have different things happen and you can um you can save their marriage you can get them to divorce you can get kicked out of the apartment you can like completely flirt with grace and get tripped really mad there's all sorts of like options you have and i think this is kind of something that maybe the game catherine and some of the more modern games kind of took a cue from um mm-hmm. but it's an interesting game. It's free. You can uh, download it in a couple minutes for the PC and just play. And it's it's neat to see, I guess, the origin of where some of these relationship-based, like even Bioware, relationship-based games come from. Yeah, I, I remember playing it for my psychology class when I was studying. And uh, needless to say, we didn't do anything serious with the game. We uh, we, we generally ended You made up them get divorced, on. didn't you? <laughs> You no, hit on Grace. We, <laughs> we got we got drunk and got kicked out of the apartment. <laughs> you hit on Grace, made trip man. We totally did, and then we got drunk and then got kicked out of the apartment. Great. And that would that would always be the, the result um, for the game. Like we'd go and we'd pick stuff up or you know play with stuff. They're like, hey, leave that alone, and you're like, no. We're <laughs> 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 like, excuse me, what are you doing? It's like, no. You just and you just—that's all you're gonna respond with, and it makes Trip so mad. He goes, "I think you should leave." And you could just say no, and you can just keep responding no, and it just makes them madder and madder. Does he physically um, eject never... you from the apartment? Like, how do you? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it forces you to quit. Oh. <laughs> um, and and you can run around, and you can just you can basically make a ruin of their live <laughs> lives, um, and that's pretty much all you did like it was an it was an interesting psychological experiment as well because you you can kind of see how people would react in that sort of situation like hey i'm just gonna get you a drink and they'll, then they'll get sidetracked because you know that's part of what the ai is trying to do it's trying to tell this story about two people that are getting divorced and you can just keep bringing it back to that you know once they start fighting you're like hey where's that drink and like, oh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let me go get that for you. And then I'll start finding it. It's like, excuse me, I wanted a drink. And you get, and it, it basically, they're like, now isn't a good time. It's like, I want my drink. And you can just be really persistent about that drink, and and even that will just get you kicked out of the apartment because it will then loop around to that. I think you should leave. Oh. And you'd be like, ah, damn it. Well, it's it's sort of an awkward situation because they invite you over to like hang out, and then the second you walk into, or you don't even get to the apartment, and they're screaming at each other. <laughs> it's not a comfortable situation by any means. Yeah, it's stop. I think it's the way that they're done is realistic, especially when they stop bickering as soon as you knock on the door. Right. Yeah. So you know, every time we 
play the game. It was always who could get kicked out the fastest. Or <laughs> that was the goal. Who, yeah, it wasn't who could resolve their relationship problems because, hell, we we were all like 20-something-year-old guys and girls and we didn't really give a crap about their, uh, their problems. <laughs> um, but I guess that's the whole thing with... Um, with AIs is that it's it's kind of commonplace now that we've got these semi semi intelligent AIs that can perceive what what we want to do or or react to a to a certain um stimulant. Um but we as as people are just like, well, huh, meh. Whatever. I wanna see how much how, how fast I can break them before um before I you know, I lose the game. Hmm. And it's funny too. It's coming off the back of you know last night when I was talking about having a robot best friend. Yes. I the, don't know whether I'd be. That you love. Yeah. Oh, those things are freaky as hell. Like I said, <laughs> I'd push them into a fire. <laughs> Why do I keep visualizing like a robot face melting? Like I know there's some movie that I've seen a robot melt. Terminator. Is it? Yeah. Hmm. It's um. It's the one where Arnold Schwarzenegger gets like acid or something thrown on his face, and his prosthetic face sort of melts off, and it's like half him, half Terminator. Maybe, or else AI, which is like such a sad movie. Or Bicentennial Man, That's when he also takes his face sad. off. But now, okay, back to the subject. Your robot friend. Yeah. So you know, I it was uh, a comic, uh, a, a comic that I was reading before that was sort of broached the subject of. Uh, AIs and, and how humanity would react. And given the amount of technological saturation we're, re- we're receiving at the moment, like, you know, the new iPhone Siri is uh, a big part in the whole Apple community at the moment, and people, let's face it, people try and break Siri. Yeah. You know, they, they ask her random inappropriate questions, and so... Uh, uh, it's it's funny to see how humanity will react to increasingly intelligent artificial intelligences. Um, you can almost imagine Trim and Grace having some sort of retort for you acting like a child um, in their apartment. Imagine um, Facade 2.0, <laughs> where they're ten times more intelligent and... Um, it's, everything is a lot more subtle, and you've got to pick up on everything um, a lot more. It's kind of like the whole L.A. noir of, of AI. Yeah. Comic was talking about the technological saturation and how we would react to um, intelligent AI. Um, and it, I guess we would treat it like everyday life. It's something where we've got to cope with it, otherwise it, it's just too much. The fact that we've got another sentient being out in the world that is not human... I think it depends on how how stupid the AI is. Like for this facade, I mean, it's an older game and it's not very intuitive. And they do kind of. It's obvious that sometimes the uh, the the typing isn't recognized, or they just kind of give you a rote response that has nothing to do with what you said. But if you look at like some Bioware games, let's say you look at Mass Effect, those are AI as well, and you have certain options that can influence their behavior towards you. Um, and people tend to get very attached to that and get very um, emotionally involved in some of those uh, interactions. You know, people have favorites that they root for and all that. So I think it depends maybe how you're introduced to the AI and how um, 
how uh, accurately it responds that you would give it the designation of human. Like some of these, I mean, the Geminoids and stuff, you looked at and you just said, this is freaky because they're not saying anything that makes me think they're human. They just look human. Mm. And people react that way where I think they kind of break it. They want to break it because they're annoyed that it's like trying to pretend. They're not buying the lie. It's it's that whole uh, uncanny valley that we were talking about a little while earlier. You know, um, if it's too close to being human, it's eerie and it's creepy. And yeah. I mean, like looking into the face, for example, the wax, uh, the wax museum statues. Uh, yeah, like Madame Tussaud. Tussaud and all that. Yeah, Madame Tussaud. You know that that's really cool to look at. But if they had the ability to move and talk and respond, you'd know subconsciously that they're not real, that they're an artificial being. But to have them talk and act exactly like the person that they're a replica of is freaky as hell. You know, it's, you know, it's because you know it's not human. It's something other than human, and it has an intelligence. Um, and I guess in games, it's it's kind of limited because you know AIs are, are basically trained to do or are programmed to do what they're told. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess in a sense they're not true AI because um, that I guess they're sort of like a like um, programming your dog to to sit when you <laughs> say sit. Okay. It doesn't know anything. It just responds to the fact that you've murmured the sound, and if I sit, I'll get rewarded with pats or food. It's it's the same deal. It's like okay, um, for example, let's take Halo. Halo's got a really good example of AI, right? Because they'll run around, they'll shoot bad guys, but the moment you get into a truck depending on where you get in, it's like, okay, I can identify that the, the player is in the passenger seat, therefore I should get in the driver's seat and drive straight to checkpoint A. Um, but on the opposite end of the scale, that AI is, AI is so stupid that it will run into every tree, rock, person, <laughs> alien that it can on its way to checkpoint A. Not to mention that it will totally either totally ignore the bad guys that are firing at it with plasma cannons, or it'll stop in the middle of a, a like a plane area and just be shot to hell. And you know, now if that was the human reverse, basically the human got into the the driver's seat, um, and the AI scanned the the the, the car or whatever and says, okay, well he's in the driver's seat. I will either get an A or B. You know, A being passenger seat, B being gunner's seat, um, jumps in, um, you know, and away you go. The player is smart enough to know to dodge the the trees, the aliens, the cliffs, whatever, and also to have a sense of tactical, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, perception, I guess, um, to, to avoid being shot at by aliens hiding behind rocks and using cover of terrain to their advantage. Meanwhile, the, the AI is like, okay, I'm in, the, I'm in passenger seat. There are hostiles in the area, therefore shoot. Uh, and they will shoot rocks, they will shoot trees, they will shoot aliens, as long as they can draw a line from them to where the alien is within the vicinity. They don't care what's in the way. It doesn't, they don't care if there's like rocks or trees that are 
Soviet bullets. They'll just keep firing. So, the games have a sense of AI, but it's not a true AI. Not what, uh, not the same type of AI that is trying to be achieved by um, that guy in Japan. The 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 link that you sent me. um, Yes, to this building, the actually intelligent robot that it looks nothing like a human, but it actually does think for itself. It's the first like independently um, thinking sort of. AI that, that they've that, that, that um, uses the internet and all that sort of shit. Yeah. 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 It's so, it's making know. decisions not based on an algorithm that it was told to do. It's it's, it, it's independently changing its program as it you know chooses to. So that's but, interesting. Uh, it'd be interesting to see that sort of concept adapted for games. Um, you know, almost free thinking AI. So, for example, say you betray one of your AI friends, the AI turn on you and, and attack you. <laughs> That they have a position of betrayal, or you know. Um, do you want to play? <laughs> I'm afraid I can't do that, Dave. <laughs> that's right. You know, and th- that's that's the sort of stuff there that um, is. I think it's it's interesting, but it's also a little bit eerie to think that we as humans are trying to build another conscious being. Mm-hmm. That that is sentient and that is um, understanding and intelligent, and then to be able to adapt that to certain situations like the whole facade game, where you know they have a programmed issue, and then you come in with triggered responses that you know they basically tried to identify everything that a player could say to these people in that situation. Uh, it's it's weird. Um, like it's almost surreal, but it, at the same time, you know that 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 AI is not quite intelligent. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I stand on the robotic issue because there's never been a non-living, intelligent thinking uh, being, you know, like that I'm aware of. So, you know, having the fact that something is immortal, theoretically, you know, is kind of a scary. <laughs> Well, there will always be that that worry that you know we will be overthrown, and I, I guess you could call it Terminator Complex. Right. You know that will be overthrown by the machines because they realize that they're they're stronger, tougher, better than we are. Um, you know, and they'll live longer. Um, Correct. But at the same time, I, I guess if and this was one of the worries that um that researcher brought up is that you know if you treat that artificial intelligence poorly, it has enough intelligence to learn that, okay, I should defend myself in this situation. I should not, you know, know, my programming is in danger. Defend. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, if you you treat that artificial intelligence... Yeah, self-preservation. And any sentient conscious being will have that preservation instinct. Um, whether it's programmed to or not, this this artificial intelligence that searches the internet um, basically sees, or you know, if the cameras see this guy coming at them with uh, a gun. It scans the gun. It suddenly knows everything about that gun and knows what sort of damage that can do. And it goes into self-preservation mode. It you know it it's arm turns into a freaking plasma cannon or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. Well, that's why we have but, to have the three laws. We all know that. <laughs> well, the, the, the three the three laws are uh, as interesting as they are. I don't. I think there's too much of a loophole in them. There's always there will always be a way around them. 
online. We saw that in um, we saw that in iRobot, I guess, and that's probably a, a prime example of how how that can go wrong. You know, the 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 way to preserve humanity is to erase humanity. Therefore, they can't cause any more trouble. Hmm. Well, we won't use that movie as any sort of example of Isaac Asimov's writing. <laughs> Let's move on to XCOM, which, by the way, did you know the demo is out today, free on Steam? XCOM. Get it. Yeah, you should get it. XCOM Enemy Unknown, which, you know, everyone's all hyped about, and I haven't really researched a whole lot until I played the demo today. I'm not finished with it, but I got significantly far in it, I would say. And um, surprisingly to me, who didn't research it, it was a kind of a tactical strategy game where um, you have like a central area you can go to and use that to kind of promote your guys and to visit the medical bay and research stuff. And it's sort of like the um, the deck of your ship in Mass Effect where you can do all that stuff. Um, but when you go on your actual missions, you're an overhead view and you've got, I think, maybe four to six people on your team and you can direct them basically from cover point to cover point to kill the aliens that are um, invading that particular area. And I have to say that the game was interesting. I liked uh, a lot of the graphic qualities. I liked the story of it. I liked the graphic quality of it, but the interface was a little clunky in, in the sense that when you move your guys, um, you have like one of those huge vertical uh cubes where you know you, you kind of have the huge arrow and then the vertical cube that tells you where you can move and it's not very intuitive like you can only pick one particular square uh to hide behind and it has to be within you know a certain like grid area from where you are and you get kind of two moves per character and and then there's attacking which i mean i guess i should i should get this because it's very D D in a lot of ways like you know, flanking is very important. Having um, within certain squares is very important. Um, I would I would not be surprised if the game was rolling. <laughs> you know, mm. but you have to really think in this and make sure that you've positioned your guys in a way that they will not uh, get killed because it's very easy for them to get uh, shot by the aliens. And uh, that considers that's like a poor mission if you if you die on the mission. But uh, again, I mean, something I might be interested in. I wish you could pause the game because right now it just takes me like a minute or two to kind of get the the controls on it. But have you played the demo? Uh, I haven't played the demo. Um, actually, I haven't done a lot of research in it, uh, into it either. Um, I remember the old XCOM game from way back, but yeah, I, I, it's not something that I've really ever been into. Uh, I've played a few tactical shooters that have been like it, um, but I don't know whether I. I I can really enjoy that type of game. It's it's complex, and a lot of the time I play games to sort of just chill out and not do anything, you know, over the top. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I I've I've I don't know. I I think something like that, uh, like XCOM, just not sort of my cup of tea. Okay. Well, tell me about Dishonored, which apparently is your cup of tea. <laughs> Dishonored. I made notes for this one. Uh-huh. So, I'm gonna stop coming you if you get robot-y. All right. Or maybe I'm an AI. Maybe you are. Maybe you've secretly been taken over by the Geminoids. Bleep bloop. Yeah. Um. Does not compute. Uh, Dishonored. Okay, so it's coming out on the 12th of October this year. So less than a month away. 
Less than. It's like two weeks. Woo! Woo! Party. So it's the uh, the latest in stealth-based games at the moment. Uh, it's uh, like a mix between Deus Ex, uh, Thief, and System Shock, which is uh, according to a uh, an article that was written about Dishonored, which called the Bell of the Ball mm. uh, of games at the moment. So um, so pretty, so pretty. You got a pretty mouth. <laughs> like creepy. creepy. Uh, so basically, the story behind it is that you're framed for the death of an empress, uh, and you're imprisoned. Uh, um, you know, and while you're putting yourself in prison, you're approached by a shadowy figure, um, who gives you the chance to exact revenge for those who conspired against you and set you up. Um, because you know, you're obviously the good guy here. So, um, and their tagline is revenge solves everything, um, which we all know it doesn't if you're morally healthy. Well, so what uh, kind of era is this set in? I mean, I, I kind of expected it would be a military, you know, modern game, but it doesn't sound like that. Um, yeah, okay, so it's set in, like, steampunk, London-esque uh, world. It's, uh, it was uh, a world envisioned by Viktor Antonov, uh, who's the Half-Life 2 art director. Oh, now I'm beginning to see it. Yeah, so you can imagine that it's going to be very gritty and dark, and, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm actually kind of looking forward to having uh, a, a game based in London, like a London-esque town, you know, wet cobblestone, sea shanties, and the whole, you know, ordeal that you're on the coast, and the whole bit, because you've never, we've never really had a game that sort of focused on that sort of environment before, where it was, you know, um, I guess the easiest way to explain it is sort of like a, a Gilneas from World of Warcraft, where it was that whole yeah, yeah, yeah. semi-Gothic, yeah, semi-Gothic Victorian era, um, based on, you know, it's, it's kind of like a London on the coast, yeah, but it's it's dark, it's gritty. Um, the basically the town is in the grips of a plague, so rats everywhere. Um, you know, and you've got your upper class and your lower class, and I think it's been uh, quite uh, quite a vision which has been achieved really well. I've seen a lot of videos and I've done a lot of research on the game. Well, apparently, isn't it true that you can encourage, like, the more violent and nasty you decide to play it, like, the more the plague spreads and the more people die? I, I believe so. Um, I, I don't have any information on that sort of stuff. Yeah, but I think you, can, I, you I, can actually do that, influence, like, the global world around you, depending on how you behave. Yeah, everything that you do in, in Dishonored has uh, a consequence, uh, and this sort of sort of links into the whole AI um, thing that we were talking about before, where the computer identifies what you, you, you've been doing and how you've you know reacted to a situation and then changes the world accordingly to what you've done. Um, prime example that was given, um, which has been in most of the videos, is where you've got to go and you've been given some information about a lady who, um, a lady in waiting who's given some false information against you and, you know, her name is like Lady, let's call her Lady Pink, for example. But when you go to this masquerade party, there are three people that are known by the name Lady Pink. So you need to use the clues to identify who the correct Lady Pink is and then kill her, you know? So <laughs> you do, kill her? That's the that's the solving of that? You kill that, her? Well, revenge solves every, everything, remember? Oh. So Must you so, kill her? Um, 
I don't think you do, but you know, you don't have to play the game where you, you kill everyone. Um, but you can set her up to fall. Um, so whether that's, you know, some, some information in the wrong hands or, you know, a threat okay. against her life or something like that. So you're not really trying to, like, prove your innocence and that you've been framed. You're just getting even. That's the No, purpose. you're, you're, you're getting, you're, you're making it even. You're getting, you're getting your, uh, your kind of, you know, what, what's owed to you. Um, whether or not you're trying to prove your, that you're innocent, um, is yet to be seen. That's not some information that Dishonored has uh, has revealed yet. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it's it's a really interesting game. The concept that they've got, they they don't promote um, you going through and then just killing everyone. <laughs> they 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 want you to play through stealthily because you're going to get the best playthrough experience by you know. Moving around stealthily, you know, moving through a pack of rats, and and you know, you basically you you're an assassin that has these arcane powers to stop time, to possess people and creatures, um, you know, to leap incredible distances, to you know, and and, and you know, hang from the roofs to to be like a silent killer of the night, kind of like I guess it's almost like Jack the Ripper in a sense, hmm. um, except, except you don't not kill just women. like. Hawkers, yeah. <laughs> Except not just killing hawkers. Good to know. Um, so you know they they encourage you not to be the bloodthirsty barbarian and go through and just maul everyone because um you'll likely die and die a lot if you do that. And every time that you restart the game, the game will um restart in a different manner. You won't ever get the same story every time you die. Uh-huh. Well, that's good. So, so you can't just like replay it until you know how to do everything perfectly. Exactly, things will change based on 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 what you did previously. So, for example, let's take the Lady Pink example again. Say you fail in killing Lady Pink and you get overrun by guards and stabbed to death. The next time round that you go through that mission, the Lady Pink that was, you know, who you identified as the one being the the criminal before is no longer the criminal. It's actually another Lady Pink. And you've got to go through that whole process of determining the different clues that you're given in order to find who is uh, worthy of a blade to the throat. Nice. Okay, now I'm interested, I have to say. I probably will not pick up XCOM because I know that Tinsian, like has been drooling for XCOM, so I can always borrow it if I want to play XCOM. But... This I might actually pick up because I really, I mean, for some reason it reminds me a bit of like the Witcher series where, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I really liked how you could sort of influence people's opinions and things around you. Um, and just, it's, it's kind of reminds me of that. And I like the possessing of the animals thing. I remember the rats. Mm hmm. So maybe check it out. Yeah. It's, uh, I, it's definitely something that I've been looking forward to this year. Um, you know, Borderlands 2 was up there, but I think this is just above Borderlands. You know, we all know Bethesda do amazing games. Yes. See, now um, I have to ask, because this is the running joke, and I'm sure listeners have heard this a million times, every Bethesda game begins with you in a dungeon forgetting who you are. Does this begin like that? Yes. Does it seriously? Yes. <sighs> it does. You, you, you're, you're framed for the death of the Empress, and you're basically thrown in jail. Oh and you're my sitting gosh. there, and you're like, woe to me, I am framed and i am going to die tomorrow and then you know you then get your chance to get revenge so you don't 
you don't exactly forget who you are. I guess that's. But you start in the dungeon. Um, but you start in a dungeon, and <laughs> I guess that's I guess that's the thing that makes Bethesda Bethesda games that um in nearly all games that Bethesda have made, you know, the Elder Scrolls series and whatnot, you've always been a prisoner, and you know, you've always made a bid for freedom. And I think I, I don't know. I think it's always been a successful um story starter. You know, you that bid for freedom and coming out of free man is you know you you feel like you have a lot more options mm-hmm. it also gives you a sense of um foreboding as well because in this game especially if you're a wanted man you're going to be identified on site because you know you've killed the empress um so there's a little bit of pressure and a little bit of um what do they call it you know, the, uh, I'm trying to think of the word. What's the word? I'm not sure, what you're trying to say. Um. Uh, basically, yeah, you, you've come out of prison, and you know, there's this sense of urgency that you need to achieve what what needs to be done okay. before you're caught, or and you'd be anxious without because everyone's caught. looking for you. Yeah, something like something along those lines. I I'll think of the word later and I'll I'll kick myself for it. But okay. but that's that. That's that's dishonored and that's something that I've been really looking forward to. Um, XCOM not so much, but then again, that's not my cup of tea. Uh, I played a few games like it and you know they're enjoyable for a time, but I don't know whether I could really put up with the whole having to baby soldiers. <laughs> okay. Well, we're getting close to ending. Is there anything else you want to say about any of the stuff we talked about? Um. All hail our robot overlords. (laughs) As a reminder, the Gray Area Podcast is entirely sponsored by listener donations. And you can go to Genesee.com and see a whole bunch of really cool buttons on the right-hand side, which have single denominations you can choose from, or you can choose uh, Pick Your Own. And I would really appreciate that. Basically, it just goes to the maintaining and running of this site, so I'm not actually losing money every month, but able to maintain and... uh, and bring all that to you without <laughs> without that. Uh, also, I know in the end, I always say um, if you have like suggestions or you have um, comments or you know you want advice or something like that. Also, I would ask if you want to hear any specific developers or you have a game that you think would be a good suggestion to have somebody on from. That would also be really helpful because at certain points, uh, I'm not playing as many things. Sometimes I'm playing more things, so. Sometimes having a game pointed out to me or a certain developer that might be interesting to have on the show would be uh, also good. So if you know anyone who's a developer or you have like someone who's in the gaming industry or a game that you just want to hear about, uh, let me know about that. All right. A big thank you to Daniel. And you can find him on Twitter, which we really need to have people tweet him to practice at GrimWizard, G-R-Y-M. And that's pretty much where you can find him. If you'd like to leave some feedback or keep up with the news, you can find me on Twitter, and I will respond to you, unlike Daniel, at Gray Area Podcast, at Facebook slash Gray Area Podcast, or on iTunes. And by the way, I would encourage you to leave reviews on iTunes, because there's only four, and I know there's more than four of you that listen to the show. So if you would just click the stars, or even just say one word, it'd be awesome. Thank you. And if you have any gray areas in your relationships, or just need a new perspective, email your questions, advice, or suggestions to genesegray at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week with a new episode. Bye.